Hello, we are Really Melanated, your two favorite horror aunties talking about movies one of us is obsessed with, but we both enjoyed. I'm Ashley, always with the Canadian homie, Carolyn. Hello! So, Carolyn, this is this is your time. This is your moment. This is your movie. What is oh, it? This is my movie. I love this movie hard. And after I watched it again, I don't know, this is probably like the sixth time, um, I kind of have this renewed love for it it's just like the clouds parted so we're going to be talking about the 1983 sci-fi dystopian film born in flames by feminist filmmaker lizzie borden so this movie i have a lot of love for it and there's a lot of reasons why so i came across this film just kind of randomly at again um, my favorite video store that is no longer it doesn't have a brick and mortar um shop but you can reach them online uh it's suspect video and uh i kept seeing this cover of a of a woman and it looked like at the time she was wearing some kind of a futuristic helmet and she was in front of a microphone and i kept seeing this face and i went in a couple times i'm like i'm gonna rent this movie and um the owner uh lewis he was like oh this is a great movie i think you're gonna love it and i watched it and i was like oh this kind of blew my mind and then uh, I think, Ashley, I it was like one of the first things I wrote for you. I wrote about the main character. Um, yes. Yes. So I'm actually going to take the synopsis from the piece I wrote for you. Because it just, it's, it's you hear why. Um, because um, there's a lot going on in the movie. So I'm just going to read the synopsis from the piece I wrote, which was, I think, in 2015. Anyway, so um, Born in Flames is set in an alternate reality where people live in supposed harmony 10 years after a peaceful social democratic war of liberation. Unfortunately, women continue to be harassed, underemployed, and underrepresented in government. As a result, an underground women's army is born. Spearheaded by two lesbians, one black and the other white, many cells form and unify through radio, music, and the written word. The film depicts the views, perspectives, and merging of women from all walks of life in a rough and raw documentary style. So the film stars Jean Satterfield as Adelaide Norris, Flo Kennedy, the civil rights activist and lawyer, as Zella, Honey as herself, uh, Adele Bertie as Isabel, uh, also Catherine Bigelow, Pat Murphy, and Becky Johnson as socialist newspaper editors, and Hilary Hurst as the leader of the Women's Army. So this was um, quite the film, and it means a lot to me because there's so much in it that you can, you know, use today in what's happening for women today. But um, Ashley, how did you and where did you kind of come across this film first time? Uh, because of you, I don't think I've ever heard about it, which is crazy. Because when I was in college, I took every, I took every and any and a lot of women's studies courses, and this movie seemed like all of the books I read and essays that I read as an undergrad and graduate taking women's studies courses and courses that were focused on feminism. It seemed like this, like this piece of art just seems so like this is like all the books and all the, and all the stuff yeah. I still own it really like it was like the words I was reading I read years ago were coming to life on screen in this kind of ideal way or this a lot of the things that I read that were looking that were that identified the problem and then kind of 
created these kind of strategies or bullet points for like change or what they would like to see as transformative changes like in this particular film. So that's what it felt like for me. So I heard about it from you because of course um, I posted the the uh, the essay on Great Bash of Sisters or the review, and I, and so that's when I first heard about it. But I don't think this is a as a as a film that's particularly easy to find. No. So even even last night I will not. I'm not gonna lie. I had a mini tantrum trying to like get this film to like actually work because I had to like, you know, sign up for a subscription and I couldn't do it on my phone and I couldn't do it on my um my iPad. I know for, I know first world problems, right? So I had to like you know get out of bed and kind of like you know do it uh on the computer and things like that because I couldn't find it anywhere else. It's not on YouTube. There no. are clips on YouTube, but it's not on YouTube. It's not streaming anywhere, which is surprising to me. But when I was watching it, I was just like, oh, this feels like this. It, it almost felt like it predicted the future in a sense. It's it's very it's, it's a very radical film. And I'm just like, wow. it just kind of blew my mind because I'm seeing, first of all, 9-11 and Sandra Bland are like the first two things that came to my mind thinking about yes. what was, what's happening in this particular film. So I was just like, whoa. And it was my first time watching it last night. I had never seen it because I never even seen it in college, which I'm like, how did this? go just fly over my head and it did so i'm glad we're talking about it <laughs> yeah it's it, it really it kind of gives you chills when you see what happens and then the way just the way women are treated and like this kind of uh um oh well everything's okay now we have this new society and it's like actually no things aren't <laughs> okay at all yeah um and like you were you were saying that you took like women's studies courses it's funny because uh, like I think my journey with feminism kind of got fueled with this movie so I I don't know if I ever really thought of myself as a feminist because my parents never really talked about it my mother just did her thing um she had um you know she didn't have that great of a childhood uh she I don't think she had that great of self-esteem either she had actually terrible self-esteem so just she just kind of did what she did and you know luckily she ended up with my dad who you know worshipped the ground that she walked on <laughs> um but they came from a patri patriarchal society so my mother was just like okay well i i you know i have the kids and then you know she she ended up she did uh go to school i think for nursing first and then for accounting and then you know, she had the, the the daughters and she's a mom and she's a working mom and she just did what she had to do. And I don't really think she thought about feminism at all. Um, so because of that, I just saw what my mom did, what my grand my grandmother, even though we didn't have a great relationship, she, you know, she looked after her children. She did whatever she had to do because my grandfather was um, a piece of work. So she ended up having to raise her children on her own. So in a way, they were feminists without having the title. But um, I never thought feminism was for me because I never saw myself. I didn't mm -hmm. see black people. I didn't see black women in feminism. So I never really took it in school because I thought, oh, well, that's just for the white girls. Um, I honestly, it didn't really occur to me. And I didn't think fem uh, women's studies pertained to me because, I, again, I didn't see myself. So when I watched Born in Flames, it really, it was a education for me because I saw 
she just Lizzie Borden just gives you all types of feminism right there on the screen and and then they merge and they don't have to lose their own identity like black feminists don't have to lose their identity you know black queer feminists don't have to lose their identity um even the intellectual like the editors um which you know included Catherine Bigelow who mm -hmm. is now a big director um they didn't have to lose their identity but everybody came together so to me it just kind of mapped out every type of feminism or you know generally what type of feminism there was out there and i'm like yeah i can be involved this does represent me so it, yeah it just helped me a lot in terms of understanding feminism because i really didn't think it was for me yeah i wasn't really exposed to it until i got to college and the first name i heard was bell hooks so because yeah. and that's because um well when i transferred colleges so I, for me, I was introduced to, to it through Black fe feminists and Black feminism. So while I understood the history of like how we got Black feminism, I, I never, fortunately enough, I never got the opportunity to say, well, oh, the, oh this is a white woman thing. Because I, I had a fundamental understanding from the beginning that right. um, the ideas of feminism and how Black women have utilized it are just as important as the feminist movement TM itself. So that's why I kind of had, you know, cause I, I hear it from older women too. Oh, it's just for white women. I'm just like, well, you know, there is black feminism. There's Chicana feminism. There's, you know, all these other different feminisms um, that are addressing issues for um, women of color and black women that maybe mainstream white feminism does not. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that feminism is inherently something that's bad or that's just for a specific group of women. That's not mm -hmm. true at all. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I knew that just because I had the education and I had the background and I, you know, for assignments, I had to read about this stuff to, to, to know that it's not just for white women. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I'm privileged in that way. I kind of just, I had the, I had the background. Um, you know, so I, so I think for, I think this movie in particular, I would need to watch it again because I only watched it once, but I, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I want to really unpack the way that women of different uh, races and sexualities kind of, and, and class came together to kind of build this coalition. And I think it, I think I want to start with the way, because it, it seemed like the focus was economic um, rights and equality. Yes. So the the you know equitable op equitable opportunity for jobs, housing, um, childcare, and uh, livable wages as well. So, and it almost seems like a lot of black leaders, specifically, because I and probably and I'm sure other leaders too, because it, it go because this it goes into a lot of different things, right? So I know Fred Hampton and Dr. and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were proponents for economic rights and I think the when they were trying to forge different people across the color line to come together because listen we're all poor and we're all the 99 percent so if we form a un and unionize together and work together we can have you know we can have that livable sustainable life that we need that we need in this capitalist society and as soon as they were really bringing people together what happens to them yeah as soon as they get into the to, to economic policy and for class and class rights and things like that, look what happens to them. So, and I think these are what the the these women were doing in this um, particular film as well. And I just I, I I'm that pat I, I like to notice patterns like that. And when I was seeing what was going on in the film, I was just like, oh yeah, that tracks with American history, doesn't it? People? Yeah, <laughs> completely agree with that. If nothing else to add, like it's just. <laughs> it's so um it gives me chills just watching it every time to see how accurate 
you know, she was. And actually, um, Lizzie Borden, um, she's a, a radical feminist herself. And she actually, uh, she's a white filmmaker, but she workshopped this film. So she didn't know any, like, black feminists. So she's like, well, I got to find me some black feminists and talk to them. And this film wasn't scripted. Um, you can see because it's kind of a guerrilla style, like yeah. um, documentary, rough hewn type of, of film. But she let she got these women to speak in their own voices about these issues. And I thought that was really important. And also, well, there's another reason why I um, love this film, too, uh, because I got to meet Lizzie Borden because of the essay I wrote for you, Ashley. <laughs> um <laughs> and I remember that because I was at, um, I was in just another town just outside of Toronto and I was at going to the Rue Morgue uh, Dark Carnival that year. And um, so I was checking into the hotel with my boyfriend and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I got a message from Lizzie Borden. I'm like, is this a joke? <laughs> I'm like, this is a joke. So then she sent me her email and like, she's like, yeah, she said she was coming to Toronto because they were doing a screening of Born in Flames for um, TIFF at the TIFF uh, Lightbox Theater. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, I'm coming, so I'd love to meet you. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even tell you. So I ended up, uh, everything was arranged, and I ended up having dinner with her and a few other people. I can't even tell you. I can't remember the dinner. I was so starstruck. Like, she's lovely. She's, like, you just want to sit next to her because she's just a wonderful person. Um, she's really funny. Um, and she, she's just, uh, she's the real deal. You know, she's a realist. She said that uh, in a few interviews that she was put in filmmaker jail because of her. She wanted to make films the way she wanted to. And obviously Hollywood's not going to let you do that because it's not, they think it's not going to sell. But I mean, look at this film, Born in Flames. It's still, everyone's still talking about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So she's proven them wrong. Um, she's still working in Hollywood. I believe she does writing and producing. But um, I just, I guess my point is that she's, she's a realist and she basically was almost clairvoyant <laughs> with this film. Yeah, I think, I think it's, first of all, I think it's really neat that like you, you write an article and the director wants to talk to you about it like that that is really surreal to me even still yeah like, i think that's really cool when that happens um and it's because it comes out of nowhere you're not expecting it because you're just you're doing what you enjoy doing and you love it and then automatically just out of the blue the director or whomever worked on it was like oh i really appreciate this yeah and like being okay so i'm just gonna equate this to like um being a black woman and and being a, a black woman writer and not really thinking that your voice is heard or what your opinion really matters. It was it, it was like a, a big turning point for me because I feel like, I don't know why I feel a little bit emotional about this, but I feel like she actually heard the words that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And it just speaks to the type of person she is and, and, and how she is so open, you know, to people's experiences. And yeah, it's just... Yeah, I think this this film really means a lot to me. I think it just really does mean a lot. And and the fact that, as you're saying, out of the blue, she's like, thank you for writing about my film. It means a lot to me, you know? Like, there yeah. aren't... There are some indie filmmakers that actually do that, but not a lot. 
So yeah, it's very, it's, I was really touched. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure how much of a script we got. Like I had a feeling of what we're going to be getting because of the time frame, because of the subject matter, because of the because of the little bit I knew about the director, I knew we were getting something very avant-garde and experimental. Mm-hmm. But it still felt like a very coherent story. And you're right. I think the improvisation of it um, really helped with the authenticity of it. And it di- and it didn't feel awkward at all at any times. It just it felt like just it felt like you were just seeing a conversation happen day to day, especially with um, when the women were outside of the construction site and they were protesting. That felt like you. That felt like somebody who just turned on their uh, iPhone cam um, video and just started recording. They're just kind of recording something that just happened, or when they were doing when they were doing the radio program. That seemed very improv. So mm-hmm. is that the right? Is that the word improv? Yep. Yeah. Seems- for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. That totally. It's all like improv. And I really loved. Um, I was actually going just like doing some research for this this podcast and. Yes, a New York Times um, article called The Political Science Fiction of Born in Flames, and it's by Richard Brody. And ironically, a man wrote it, but he was just writing about, you know, the importance of this film. And he mentioned a documentary called She's Beautiful When She's Angry, and that is by uh, director Mary Dorr. And um, she's a, a, um, a documentary director, and... Uh, yeah, she just basically interviewed a slew of feminists that, um, that came up at the time. We've got Muriel Fox, Ellen Willis. We've got Fran Beale. Um, it's like just tons of, of feminists, black and white, and uh, Latina, Latinx. Uh, we have Kate Millett. Let's see, uh, Denise Oliver. Like so many feminists. So they talk about their roles in feminism and women's liberation. And it, it's really interesting because the way this documentary was done made me think of Born in Flames. It's so interesting. So I think that's why that writer Brody was talking about this documentary. It just made me think of it, just the way how the, it was pieced together with actual footage. Um, I think there were a couple of reenactments there. Um, Lizzie Borden wanted to have that documentary look and it just I connected it to this this documentary, She's Beautiful When She's Angry. This is kind of weird that we're doing this this. Uh, film because I actually reviewed that Gloria Steinem biopic, um, The Glorias. <laughs> oh my god, I did not like it. Um, I totally see what the director was trying to do, but I didn't like it. Um, just because it was just a little bit just too much fantasy involved for me. Uh, for a person that's still alive, it's too much. But it, this kind of made me also connect to the whole women's movement and um also that uh Flo Kennedy was in Born in Flames. Right. I had never heard about her until I watched this film, uh Born in Flames. And then I looked her up and I'm like, oh my God, this woman was a force. And I, I particularly like the scene where her character Zella, who is I believe that character is named after Flo Kennedy's mother in, in real life. But oh. so Zella's sitting there filing her nails. She's filing her nails and she's talking to Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, girl, you better get mobilized or whatever. She's just telling her what to do. And I thought that is hilarious because as I read up mm-hmm. about her personality and what she did, that was so her. Like she was all about her nails. She had to wear a cowboy hat. Like she was, she just liked to look good, like to, you know, be herself. And that to me was so empowering to see this woman like, well, 
I'm myself. I'm doing my thing. And you better listen to me. And I thought that was great. Yeah, everything was very natural in this film. It, when when she was when I was that particular scene was um interesting because I'm just like, yeah, this that sounds like an older specifically an older black woman just talking to a younger one. Just cuz who's been who's been through who's been through it all and who's seen it all and just like, you know, yeah, now's your time. You're going to you're going to find your own way. You're going to find your own um way of kind of changing things, and I'm here to be kind of the old old wise wizard to kind of guide you through. And to just be yeah. the um, and just be the co-signer, because I because I because I've done I've done my work and now I'm supposed to help the future generations and that's what it, it felt very matter of fact, and I kind of like I kind of like that personality of people people who are just like you know who look at younger people and say, or you know younger people who are very passionate who have found their niche you know who are on the horizon of doing something um, as far as their life journey is concerned and say yeah okay it's time just very nonchalantly like just don't mm-hmm. you know there's no dramatics there's no bs it's just like yeah now it's now it's time to do what needs to be done and especially in this world which i find really interesting because it's it's this alternative reality where it's like socialist democratic party yeah yeah which i don't know how those two things go together necessarily but i'll ride with it um and so yeah it's uh, yeah you're right it's like so we've made an even more radical change than we ever thought imagined but women of all colors and stripes and classes are still at the bottom rung yeah Mm -hmm. so from that i'm kind of interested in the question of are we because i've been having this conversation with myself a lot especially over the past couple of months and what i feel like the movie brings up for me is this idea okay so no matter what we do and no matter how good things may look or are going to look if we imagine a society that is done this way it still feels like there's this hierarchy there's still going to be oppression yeah i yeah so i don't think like you mean you can you can have like an 80 percent happy (laughs) populace but you know there's always going to be someone who's not represented in a way yeah, I think there's always going to be someone who's oppressed. I I just, I don't know if there is like um, a workable, like utopian type society. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever have that. I don't know. Not to be pessimistic, but we're trying, you know, like now that everybody's, you know, everybody's, well, there's a huge amount of people in North America who are out of work, obviously during this pandemic, like, I don't know why they haven't started a basic income so people can have like some money at least to pay for a roof over their heads you know like just seems simple but that would even the playing ground and i guess people in power want to stay in power so yeah i think that's that's probably what it is it's just like i don't know because when you you see you still see um i think even in the film you have uh, politicians black and white so she did show that but they were still all men they were still all men. And yeah, and it's funny because the commentary the commentaries on like the, the, the newscasters, all the men saying, Oh, you know, these this women the women's liberation army, it did make me think of in that film The Glorious when uh, Gloria Steinem was being criticized on the news, uh being interviewed. Like it, it's really it, you know, I think she really reflected that well, like just showing like the general consensus of feminism and women trying to to govern ourselves as being this you know silly frivolous thing and and trying to make women look like fools as we're trying to stand up for our rights 
Like that's huge, you know, just to show that. Uh, with with the Glorias, I just I didn't like that it was it, they had this fantasy element that just didn't sit right. It just wasn't it didn't sit right. And Gloria Steinem's on this bus with her former selves as a a girl, a teenager, and a young woman, and it just seemed a little odd. I don't know. I, you just you just have to see it. Also, it was two hours long, so there's that. But uh, I just just didn't sit right with me, and I feel felt they could have given more screen time to um for Flo Kennedy. Um, what's her name? Uh, is it Bella? Azug, um, she was yeah, yeah. Could have given more screen time for her as well. Um, I don't know. It just it just kind of seemed more a like an interpretation of someone's life who is still alive, and that really bothers me for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I just think it bothers me. Like, and then Gloria Steinem ends up in the film. I won't tell you when unless you want to. Um, if you want me to spoil it, I'll spoil it. But the ending was really good. But. Uh, I don't know. I just it didn't sit right with me, and it was too long. Yeah, I think there's something. I don't know what it is, and I haven't done my investigation of it. But I I don't know if it's necessarily. I think it's hard or difficult to do an auto an, um a biopic and do it like where it is universally kind of acclaimed as something that is really good and decent. Now, I'm probably drawing a blank. I'm sure those biopics exist, but. You know, just thinking, just thinking about the recent ones I've watched. They're very, it's very few and far between to get to to do it and do it correctly. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because I know there are like, you know, there's an Aretha Franklin one coming out, or is it? Or I don't, I forget. They're doing like fictional. There other yeah, other people playing them. I think that's what's happening, and I'm just kind of like really. I don't. I don't want to get too too far off topic. What I wanted to, because I what I wanted to bring up was um. The same thing that they did with that miniseries, Mrs. America, right? And th- where they had they had Gloria and they had um, Niecy Nash playing Flo, right? And um, the other conservative chick that I can't remember her name, but Kate Blanchett, I believe, played her. I forget her name. Forgive me. Um, it'll come to me. Jeez. But her name was Phyllis Sh- Schlafly. Sh- Sh- Schlafly. Schlafly. Yes. Yeah. So this lady it, and um. So they so again there was another fictionalized tale of kind of uh, a a piece of uh I think what's interesting to me is that they both came out around the same time they were, they both came out the same year. Yeah. And I'm just I don't know what that's about and I'm pretty sure I'll understand the context and in hindsight but I just think it's interesting cuz we had Rose Rose Byrne playing Gloria Steinem and I'm just like hmm, I just wonder uh, unless I missed an anniversary or something I'm just not sure of. This is this sucks. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> No, it's true because I think also, you know, feminism isn't like some frivolous subject. You know, it's not like, um, for instance, uh, I I tried watching that James Brown Brown biopic. I couldn't get through it. Oh yeah. But at least you can, or or like for instance, the um, oh my god, the Elton John one. There's an element of fantasy you can definitely use because, you know, Elton John and James Brown, they had like this flamboyance about them they had a showmanship so you can kind of take liberties with that but i think because gloria steinem this is a grounded subject this is women's rights so to to put in a bit of fantasy um it it was almost like um a stage production and i i just i'm like i feel like the the story is too grounded in reality to make it 
and I'm, I'm sure uh, Julie Taymor wasn't trying to trivialize it, but it just it trivializes it because of this whole fantasy aspect, which really throws off the tone of the film. That that's just my opinion. But so, hopefully, I'm understanding this correctly. So, just thinking, just wanting more authenticity, more realness, more yeah, yeah, based in reality because it's. It's a it's a real. I mean, look at now where people are. Women are afraid of um, abortion rights being thrown out the window now. You know, it's mm -hmm. something real, real, and it's something that's right in our faces right now. So, to, I don't know. I just thought I, I feel like maybe the fantasy didn't give as much respect to the subject matter as it should have. I guess that's basically. Yeah, I know. I think I know what you're saying because, yeah, I mean, so Tate Taylor directed the James Brown biopic. His mm -hmm. his fetishization of black people is just really enraging and unsettling, and this mother still gets to direct movies. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, also the thing I've heard about James Brown time and time again, and thank you, uh, Lamar from Brothers from Another Planet podcast, when they were talking about it around the time when the movie first came out. The thing about James Brown is no one really knew who James Brown was. Mm -hmm. So you can't do a biopic about him. Even the people who have spent years learning about him, knowing him, who, or may have even known him, saying, nah, you're never going to, I mean, no. You're never going to know who, you, you, you're, we're never going to know who, who that man really was. It's, yeah. it's almost damn near impossible to do a good biopic on James Brown because you saw him one way on the stage and he was a completely different person off that stage. When literally when no one else was around, he was a different person dealing yeah. with a lot of different things. So we're, we're never going to know who that person is because he never got, you know, he didn't get a, He didn't get the opportunity to have his own input on the way his story was going to be told. Right. So you have issues like that. And I know people, people really hated Bohemian Rhapsody and again, the Elton John biopic, like you said. So yeah, I mean, there are these really kind of lackluster biopics kind of like, you know, that have been released in the past few years. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to get the accuracy of things. And if I go back to Born in Flames, I think what she did, and again, she did it in, in a fictional realm, but at the same time, she has these women kind of talking about their perspective on the rights of women yeah. and, the, and the rights of just people in society on their own terms. And I think that w worked worked in the film's favor yeah it really did um i mean i mean the the glorias was based on um steinem's book i think it's called on the road or something i have to look it up but um so it's based on steinem's book but i don't know was she really i don't know i mean was she really okay with the the kind of high concept uh scenes and stuff like that i don't know if she was okay with that she probably was whatever maybe she liked it she goes oh let's have some fun I don't know. I don't want to, you know, say what she's thinking, but uh, uh, whatever. I just didn't like it. I mean, Gloria Steinem is definitely um, one of the names I heard passed around a lot, but it's crazy to me as far as my feminist education. I didn't read a lot of her work. No. We just kind of, we I, like, I knew of her as a significant um, figure in feminist history, but as far as like delving into her, like my teach, my professors and my instructors are just like, like, I guess subconsciously we're just like nah there are more important there are more interesting women and more compelling women to discuss because mm -hmm. yeah people always equate Gloria Stein with the feminist movement but there were dozens upon dozens of upon dozens of other women who were writing really um, significant work and who were mobilizing in really um, important ways for other women so um, absolutely I didn't know Flo Kennedy had a couple of books 
Um, I'm going to have to look for them now. And, and you know, I'm definitely going to be reading them. Uh, I didn't, you know, and, it, you know, being a Canadian, I didn't even know about black feminist, you know, activists and writers and what have you. And yeah, there's a, um, a woman who wrote about black feminists in Canada um, from the past and now. And uh, it's it's great. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> I didn't even know that. And it's by Kathleen Newman Bremang. And uh, she's like a Canadian journalist here. Yeah, she's a great journalist. And she's written an article called The Incredible Black Canadian Women You Should Know. And like there was one, um, her name is Rosemary Brown. And she was a black politician and, you know, and a feminist. And just all these names I didn't know and I didn't learn in school. It's just, it's such a shame that we don't learn about these things. Like, and I'm not talking like university or college. We should be learning these things in grade school. Absolutely. You know? It just, it's really frustrating to me that I had to educate myself in like, what is it? Probably my early forties, you know, <laughs> like, and like, I'm, and like, I, I had read something about bell hooks and I'm like, who the hell is Bell Bell Hooks? I didn't know who the, who the hell she was, and I read about her, and I'm like, this woman's incredible. So it just—I mean, I—I I sound a little frustrated because I am. <laughs> it just really annoys me that this information is not readily available for people, you know, for women, for Black women, young Black women. The educational system in the in the North, in North America should probably be completely um, flipped upside down, and I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before by more intelligent people. I, I think it should just be now be a thing where it's half and half, where you're getting we're getting this kind of intellectual enlightenment, but you're also kind of honing in on a craft or a trade that is of your choosing that could give you the practical that could give you kind of the practical knowledge of like a of a skill or a trade you can take out in the workforce, and then you also have this intellectual enlightenment where you can kind of understand how the world works and how to interact with people and how to understand. Um, different parts of history and how that still plays out today within your own politics and within the politics of at, of certain people and at large. So um, that's how things should be. Unfortunately, they're not. It's yeah. it's really sad and unfortunate. Like, I, yeah, I, I know a lot of kids. I remember being an, an undergrad and being woefully frustrated that they're learning about all of these things now. Like, why didn't we have this kind of like understanding when we were younger? Because I think I think the frustration comes from like. Like like you said, just not feeling disempowered, yeah, and feeling like you don't belong in spaces where the history shows that people who look exactly like you were there all along. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, as far as feminism, you, you can, we can. And I know a lot of people do this. They go back to Sojourner Truth, but and Harriet Tubman. But mm -hmm. we know that there are dozens upon dozens again, um, black and brown and other women who were probably doing a lot of things that be that could be considered feminist or were standing up for. Um, the equal rights of women or just and also focusing in on, t on the intersections because they mm -hmm. understood what it was like to be a non-white person in the world so it's again I think that's what it is I think that's one of the things that this is all about yeah and I know so Lizzie Borden so I didn't realize oh, so, oh she's from Detroit I thought she was she, she was from New I always tend to think people are from New York if they make a very gritty in New York looking film I always yeah. tend to think that like automatically I know that's silly but but it's, again, but that's the other thing too, because I had read as as well as you did, is like she didn't know any uh, black feminists. And I'm just like, so a chick from Detroit who's living in New York City doesn't know any black feminists. Yeah. She calls herself a feminist. Yeah. Like these two very black cities, like you know, uh, New York is much more mixed, obviously. Yes. 
And she grew up in Detroit when Detroit was really black. So I'm just like, wait a minute. I wonder, was it that was it? But it was segregated, though, wasn't it? Because like everybody moved, Probably. everybody moved out to the all the white people moved out to the suburbs. That's correct, right? And then all the black people were left in the city, basically in Detroit, right? Yes, I can imagine. I yeah. I do. It's my own narrow thinking, so forgive me because I grew I grew up I grew up in a very mixed background. Um, yeah, yeah. Is it mixed? I mean. Yeah, I mean, my, my my home was very black, and then my like outside world was very was very mixed. So, mm. and that, but that's just but I but I also grew up in a specific time where there was less segregation. So yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So that that does make sense. She probably didn't know any black feminism, but I but I said but I said that but and she considers herself a feminist. I'm just like I guess, but no, that's true too because it depends on what circles you kind of are swimming in because yeah. there are a lot of I, I'm sure especially during her era. When she was kind of our age and younger, there were probably still very um, isolated groups of uh, feminists. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, watching that documentary, um, I, you know, I keep going back to it because it's just it just looking at the footage. There's a lot of just white women, you know. I mean, then there are some where you obviously you see black women and, and Latinx women and, and Asian women and what have you. But I don't know, it just seems that's another reason why I thought that it was not really for black women, because I didn't really, again, didn't see myself in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, even now, and I'm probably going to get flack for saying this, but, you know, I see a lot of people now where on, on their Facebook, I'm like, so where's the people of color that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Where are they? So I don't know. I feel like it's still happening. I mean whatever you may have grown up in a small town or what have you but i don't know this is 2020 branch i know exactly <laughs> what you mean i do it, it, no i know exactly what you mean yeah. it does give me great pause when it seems like uh, someone's circle is very homogenous mm. that's a, a little off-putting yeah you know i'll admit uh so yeah it, it's 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 i think it's changing a little bit it's i have yeah. very very mixed, very gray, very mucky feelings about um, a lot of these issues because I just I think we're just still kind of working through the the ugliness of it all. I think mm -hmm. I don't know if twenty twenty is this great big reckoning and reconciliation of a lot of the past and the ills of it. Right. I, I'm not going to say that because you said you don't want to be pessimistic. I just am. To <laughs> be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think. But no. And no matter what we do, and no matter what we can and cannot control, I think things are going to shift in a way that we're just going to see how it shifts um, for the the relations, um, the ra the race relations specifically, I guess, of the next generation behind the both of us. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean I do have hope. I see my little. Yes, I'm a great aunt. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm a great aunt. News alert. Mm -hmm. I'm a great aunt. And I see my, you know, tween niece, great niece. And uh, she has a lot of black friends, but I, I know she does have, like, you know, friends from other backgrounds, too. And I'm, it really makes me happy to see that, you know? Yeah, it just makes me happy. So, I mean, there is hope. Um, oh, I, suppose. I also wanted to point out, too, um, this is total 80s, 80s trivia. Da, 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 da. So... The woman who plays uh, Isabel, her name is Adele Bertai or Bate, and she uh, she's actually a, a singer and a musician. I think she came, she was part of the first like 
um, lesbian band, I believe, um, or one of the first reported lesbian bands. Um, she actually was a, a backup singer for Thomas Dolby, which I thought was so cool. Oh. She did that song. I you know <laughs> she did those vocals and um she i looked her up and she's still you know doing well in la and she looks great and you know but i couldn't actually find anybody else um i looked up yeah uh the actress uh, jean satterfield couldn't find her i looked up honey i couldn't find anything any information so maybe that was just a one-off for them you know is that the woman who uh, the white woman who Held, um, was head of the radio show yeah radio regatta <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so she's still you know kicking around in in la doing her thing yeah i want to know who did those terrible cornrows <laughs> at certain parts in the movie who <laughs> did that to that woman there are certain things white people cannot do and cornrows is one of them <laughs> they'll just know they were bad Ever. yeah they were bad yeah they were not good Oh my god. But I did like her improv. I really you could tell she was a musician. Like oh, yeah. I was she she had she had good rhythm. Mm -hmm. And um also good lyrics. She was also uh she was she was a poet, I could tell. Yes. She definitely had a flow to that, to yeah. her and I I appreciated that very much. And I liked that she was like maybe 2 feet tall and she was just 100% like I'm going to punch you in the face. I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I love how like punk this movie is, how radical it is. I felt like it was um Almost like, um, you know, like one of those radical zines. I felt like it was like a radical zine on screen. You know what I mean? Like it just mm -hmm. had that feel, that patchwork feel, that that real like heartfelt striving for change. And I think that all the women in the film really felt passionately about that. And that's what's so important about it, too. I think what Lizzie Borden did, she created this, she created this alternative universe where these women really felt empowered because they see so so real positive change can happen but we're still struggling but i think because we have this foundation of this socialist society no we can take it a step further and we're not going to be intimidated to crawl back into these kind of complacent uh positions in order to appease men no we're going to keep fighting mm -hmm. so you, the president can come on tv and talk about you know giving us wages for housework but no that's not that's not enough and that's not what we want so we're going to keep fighting until we get that full equity and so i think that's what makes the film really um i think that's how, how it has a significant impact because and i think that's probably what's happening now like people are saying no things can be better things can change so we're, i'm just going to keep fighting for it and i think that's yeah that makes i guess that makes sense yeah a little bit <laughs> And I believe I'm just going to um, mention because I got my copy at, on this website called First Run Features. I'm just going to check and see if they have it uh, online because that's where I got it. And actually, that's a, this is a really interesting um, website. It's got a lot of documentaries. Like you can also purchase a ton of. Well, yeah, they still have it. Let me just see here. Um is it dot ca as it's something nope, that I can it's dot com. actually it's a u.s site um what yeah and they have like a ton of let me see can you purchase it i don't know if you can purchase it here they have a listing for it so i believe you can oh you can rent or buy it so um, you can you can watch it online Sh i should have told you that D damn it anyway 
so yes, it's called firstrunfeatures.com and you can get a ton of documentaries, foreign film, um, LGBTQ films. Like it's a really great resource for if you're kind of finding something, you're looking for something hard to find, you'll be able to find it most likely on this, this website. And I just noticed now they have streaming ability. So yeah, it looks like they yeah, have streaming. I, yeah, I'm seeing that too. Yeah, yeah. I um, I get a like a, a a free trial from another subscription space from Amazon. So yeah, I I did that thing where you watch the movie you want to watch and then cancel the membership. Yes. <laughs> hey, got to do what you got to do, man. But mm -hmm. I really think that Born in Flame should be available on um like a Canopy or you know because this is it's an important film. It's an important and feminist film and they're also they also have like uh oh look they have the water watermelon woman they have like all these kind of iconic feminist films so yeah i would uh, highly recommend checking them out i've ordered a couple of things from them i ordered uh yeah a couple of like they're not horror french extremity but they're they're extreme um french films um yeah so i highly recommend them for finding kind of um, documentaries and foreign film that you can't that aren't usually available and their prices are pretty decent too i think they usually have sales this is not not sponsored or anything but i just like them <laughs> i'm just surprised i've never seen this in college like this never came up yeah. i'm really shocked i guess i just wasn't taking enough film classes and enough like women there were i don't know if there were any women's film film classes when i was there yeah i don't you know what i just like i, I <laughs> Oh God, anxiety, the life killer. I think um, one of the reasons why I, do, I recall not taking feminist classes was that I felt like I would run into girls that I went to like high school and grade school. Like there's a group that I was with and I loved them dearly and I still, we're still friends and I just, they're just amazing people. But then there were some girls that I was like, I'm good that I'm glad we're not really keeping in touch. And I just kind of felt like I would come across these women who they just kind of drowned you out because you're black. I don't know. I didn't have a great oh, wow. school experience. Let's just say. Um, so I just felt I just really my whole university experience was that of avoidance. <laughs> so sad to say I went to U of T. It was traumatic. Um, it's one of the reasons why I never pursued any further education because U of T was very traumatic for me. So, um, yeah, I think I just wanted to get that paper and get the hell out. So, yeah, I think that's probably why I didn't take any more courses. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. I had the opposite experience. Well, well, my first my first college that I was at for two years felt that way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not going to go into debt to, like, be miserable and constrained. So, yeah. Um, that's why I, I, that's why I transferred. At least I had the will. I had the will of mind to get out of there and to have that intellectual pursuit that I wanted, and that I that I was paying for. Mm -hmm. So when, once I once I did that, then I had then I had a pretty decent experience. So and I'm sad to hear that because because if you're if you're going to go to a traditional four year college, it's about all of that discovery. You should mm -hmm. be able to do whatever the hell you want because it's your life after you graduate. So. I had three professors that were great. There were three. One of them had a um, a standard poodle. <laughs> it was gigantic. And uh, I would go to her office hours just to see the poodle. <laughs> she was great. I forget her name. She was my Shakespeare professor. 
and she was from New York and she had the best accent. And um, I love the poodle. The poodle will come and check me out. And I'd pat the poodle. I'd be like, okay, I'm good. Um, and then I had another um, drama teacher. She was great. She was this little um, tiny woman. And um, Professor Buell, he was my first, very first class. I remember him because he was so, like, if they could, they had to create a professor character for, like, a children's show, he was it. He wore the, I'm not kidding, he wore the tweed jacket with the, the suede elbows. He was very kind of, um, seemed kind of absent-minded, very sweet, um, and I took old English from him. And he was one of the nicest, I, this is, what am I, I'm, I'm like a hundred years old now and I still remember that man because he treated me so nicely, you know? So I, I will never forget him. I had the, the three best professors, but other than that, I was like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> I do not like school. That's, I just don't like school. I'd rather teach myself. Hey, that's fair. Yeah. I did want to mention the use of music. I loved it. So I heard a lot of recognizable tunes. I heard Stevie Wonder's Black Man. I heard The Slits, I believe, which is one of my favorite kind of punk bands. So I really, and I'm thinking to myself, Dag, does she get, does she have to license? Listen, <laughs> I, in my notes, Okay, in my notes, I'm like, where, where are my notes? I said, um, Waxworks Records needs to put a limited edition of Born in Flames out. So I'm putting it out to the world that <laughs> <laughs> they need to do a limited edition vinyl of Born in Flames. Because, yeah, the music was really good. It was really good. And all the original stuff that they had there, yeah, it was great. Yeah, and um, we did talk about the movie predicting the future almost yeah like prognosticate a lot of what we see today yeah um we don't have to get into the end like why do you think i guess my question for you is why do you think the movie ends so abruptly um the way it does i think and also that was kind of chilling too the the ending i mean seeing mm -hmm. the, the twin towers and you know um but i mean that wasn't a total takedown it was just a removal of who controls the media, I think. And I think it was really abrupt because I guess this is the time that it was made. Like, there are no answers, really. It's kind of left to for other women to continue the fight. I think that's what it is. It's like once you remove that control of the media, because I guess, can we spoil it? I'm going to spoil it. So they Yeah, I, was, I wasn't sure, but sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean... But um, so they blow up um, the antenna on the Twin Towers. So it just shuts down the broadcast because after Adelaide dies, the women's movement comes together collectively to, you know, kind of squash the patriarchy and the powers that be. So they go after the media, basically. And I really think that it's kind of it, it's open ended, but it's also an open beginning, I think. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I think that really it's kind of leaving it in the next generation's hands, you know, because even the edit editors for that socialist paper, the three women who, you know, kind of represent like that white privilege feminism. Yeah, they, they kind of come around as well because they, you know, they're trying to intellectualize what these radical women are doing. They're like, you know, this really isn't there's no problems. There's nothing happening. And then they start seeing what's happening. And they start seeing that Adelaide is being watched by the FBI. 
she's mobilizing women she's she's going to africa to get you know guns <laughs> she's not kidding around so she's a threat and so she dies she gets well she commits suicide quote unquote but they all the women know that that's not true so she was basically killed by the fbi so i think that ending is really it's important because it finally it's like the last straw where like you know the 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 kind of privileged white feminism and the you know boots the ground feminism come together and i think that's what it means is like it's not really an open ending to me it's like a beginning of where you could go i guess me is that am i explaining myself right yeah yeah that makes that makes complete sense yeah Yeah. i was just curious about that because it does have this kind of like I guess for an audience member, especially seeing it for the first time, the ending is kind of just like, oh, that's it. Okay. So and just trying to like, you, you don't, you're not given that, that pacing or that breath to process the ending. Yeah. It kind of just, it, it happens and then you have the, and you have the end credits. So, and yeah, I think that is maybe kind of like exactly what you said. And also this kind of jolt yeah. to get people to think about it. Yeah. Because, because it does feel really real. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's really real, and like the fact that her, her death, like that, I that I didn't even I didn't expect that, and when I first the first time I saw the film, I didn't expect it. I thought, oh, you know, maybe they were gonna she was gonna escape, and they were gonna do something else. But to me, that again really grounded the film in reality, because so many people have died protesting, um, fighting for their rights. So she really did represent the the reality of of the risk you take to fight for your rights you know yeah and it's just it's, it is really eerie because mm-hmm. some of the bigger news stories that we find this, this, I, that's why I, that's why i said sandra bland earlier yeah it's just you know it seems so immediate and from what i've known about her i didn't see the documentary forgive me but mm-hmm. you know she was very vocal about um racism and white supremacy and i don't know if we'll ever truly know what happened to her but for them to like, you know, try to convince us that she committed suicide in jail is absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it felt very similar to what Adelaide was doing. What Adelaide, um, what happened to Adelaide as well. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she's one of my favorite characters. I just love her understated drive. You know, she wasn't, she didn't necessarily have to. I mean, she was out there, but she wasn't like shouting. She was just doing the work, and. I just love that about her character and I loved how straightforward she was. And I really, I honestly would love to know what happened to that, um, to Jean Satterfield would love to know what happened to her. Cause you can't find anything. No, I, I was looking, looking, searching the Googles and I couldn't really find anything. So I don't know if anybody knows what happened to her. Um, but yeah, she just, I just thought she was such a cool figure that she was, you know, black, queer like such an intersectional character you don't really see that you know too often i mean it's coming up now which is great yeah. but you didn't really see that in 1983 no not really no so that's it for me is there anything else that you wanted to mention yeah I final think, thoughts i think that's it no, i just um oh, i just think it's an important film and as you said like it should be shown in schools I'm not sure. I haven't been to, uni- well, you know, never be back <laughs> at a university ever again, but maybe they're showing it in university now. I hope. I hope they're showing it in university and colleges. Um, 
But yeah, I think everyone should see it. Um, if you can get your hands on a copy or stream it somewhere, you really do need to, to check the film out. Lizzie Borden is an awesome person. She's still doing her thing. And um, I think she's on Twitter. You can follow her on Twitter. And she's, again, she's just an awesome person. And I was just really touched that I got to meet her. And yeah, thank you, Ashley, for taking my essay <laughs> those many moons yeah. ago. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not an active site anymore, but I loved being able to give people an opportunity to just, you know, write something really cool and to not, and offer to and offer varying perspectives where I fell short or where my mind and my research wasn't really focused on. So, and that was one of them. I never heard of Warner Flames again, and I'm sure it's shown at universities now all throughout the country, probably even the world. I'm sure the world. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think probably more people know about it now. So it's get it or people are having access to it and getting an opportunity to show it in classrooms where it, where it is appropriate and necessary so um yeah and I hope it continues like I'm even thinking for myself like if I if I teach a women's course somewhere down the line in the future I'm definitely putting this on the list yeah no it's an important film and I'm I'm glad I mean I'm glad but I'm also it's kind of it sucks that it's it's so relevant <laughs> but yeah you know at least we have some kind of a, a uh, a piece of art that we can relate to you know so i think that's why it's so special absolutely yeah so uh where can people find you ashley at ashley takes note on twitter and you carolyn uh you can find me at vfd pixie on the twitters uh yeah until next time guys peace bye <laughs>